morning. Hope you're good. God's good, so I hope you're good, and, and I hope that God's stirring your heart, not just for what uh, we have this morning, but um, every day. And uh, we talked about this a little bit last week, last couple of weeks. We've been looking at this question of who is God, and um, what I find consistently in conversations, and I found in even my own life, is that there is a, a misconstruction that we have of God. It is often based off of experience and um, things we've been told. And, and we've really got to begin to deconstruct that, to tear that down and allow God's truth to build our understanding of who God is. Um, and so we're going to continue looking at that this week. Uh, who is God? And specifically, as we did last week, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit. Even a little more specific than that, we're going to look at the Holy Spirit as the Spirit of grace. Um, and and so we're going to continue that line of thought. Uh, I gave you last week as part of this a definition of grace because I, I told you that in a lot of ways we have limited um, God's grace, our understanding of grace, and we've limited the Holy Spirit and our um, understanding and even our, our, our reception of him. And so I want to put up again on the screen this definition of grace that we're working with. Uh, the definition I gave you last week is God's desire and ability to do for us, in us, and through us what we cannot do ourselves. Last week we looked at how through Christ um, and, and through the Spirit of God, um, God has done for us what we cannot do in bringing us into his presence, in allowing us to come into his presence, to be in this relationship, to be in his presence um, as his children. And we talked about how we no longer have a need for a mediator, a priest, someone to go between us and God because there is only one mediator, there's only one priest, there's only one between us and God and that is Jesus who's given us now the ability to each come into God's presence. And so we looked at that and we, we talked about how um, understanding the Spirit is crucial, but how many times we can understand the Father, even if our, our experience of a Father gives us somewhat of a, a messed up understanding of God the Father, we, we can kind of relate to that. We can kind of relate to the Son because he, he put on flesh, He dwelt amongst us, He became um, human like us, and so we can understand the Son. But when it comes to the Spirit, He becomes much more gray, uh, much more misunderstood, um, much uh, more, we become much more skeptical even of the Holy Spirit. But we looked at last week at too how crucial it is that the Spirit is moving in us and among us. And so we're going to continue that thought um, of how God now um, relates to us through Christ in the person of the Spirit and works in us. Remember this, that if you are looking to understand more about God, the Holy Spirit, Look to Jesus. Last week we looked at some scriptures that teach us that if we look to Jesus and the person of Christ, we not only um, see who Jesus is, but we see who the Father is. Um, Jesus is the express image, the fullness of his deity. We look at Jesus, his heart. We begin to see God's heart. Um, we look at Jesus, a scripture that teaches us that Jesus is another, or that the Holy Spirit is another. He is just like Jesus, but not Jesus. And so when we look to Jesus, we also see the character and nature of the Holy Spirit. So we see that with the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, that they all carry the same character, nature, attributes, but they carry different functions. And, and they function in different ways for our salvation, for our recreation, for our transformation, for us fulfilling the purposes that God created us for. And so we're going to continue with that line of thought. If you didn't uh, hear that message last week, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to it because the, um, this week and next week, we're kind of building off of that. And so today we're going to begin in God's Word in Exodus chapter 33. We read some of this last week. I want to read a couple of verses from there, a few verses from Exodus 34. Um, we're going to read a little bit of Scripture here in the beginning. I want to go to a couple of the prophets and then finally to 2 Corinthians 3. Last week we, we looked at God's desire and ability to do for us what we cannot do ourselves. This week, I want us to look at God's desire and ability to do in us what we cannot do ourselves. And so Exodus 33, this is, uh, you remember from last week, 
we, we talked about this, this passage. Because of the people of God, the Israelites' sin, God has told them in um, Exodus 32 and 33, basically that he's going to send them into this new land, this promised land, this good land. He's saying, but I'm not going with you. I'm going to send an angel before you. This angel is going to defeat your enemies. You'll inherit the land, but I'm not going. And, and so they were disheartened. They were, um, they were burdened by this. And in verse 15 of Exodus 33, we read this. These are the words of Moses. It says, Moses said to him, said to God, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? Remember, this is crucial, not just for our understanding of God amongst the, the Israelites, his, his chosen people, the people of God in the Old Testament, but his working with us now, right? Because what was huge for the Israelites, for these, for these Jewish people in that day, was the fact that God's presence was amongst them. Remember, we looked at the tent of meeting. We talked about the tabernacle, the temple. Why was it so important? It represented God's presence with them. In this text, Moses is saying, look, if your presence doesn't go with us, nothing separates us. For us, the church today, we need to see that and understand that we are now the temple of God. But if God's presence isn't among us, if he's not working in us and through us, and, and his presence is not here working with us, then listen, we don't have anything to separate us from other people. Understand this, that God is here. He is faithful. The spirit right now works in and amongst us, but we can sometimes become dull and, and not sensitive to his presence. And so we've got to recognize that this is huge, this is crucial, the presence of God amongst his people. I want to read a couple of verses from Exodus 34, beginning in verse 10. It says, the Lord said, I'm going, I'm making a covenant with you. Before all your people, I would do wonders never before done in any nation in all the world. The people you live among will see how awesome is the work that I, the Lord, will do for you. So what's God saying? We talked last week about the, the old covenant and the new covenant. The reason our Bibles are divided, the old covenant, the old testament, the old way of God dealing with his people or relating to his people, the agreement he had. Um, we, we talked about now the new covenant, the new agreement, the new testament has come. Uh, that this old testament was laying a foundation for what was going to be established and began to be built in the new testament. And so as we look at this, we see here that God is telling Moses, I'm establishing a covenant with you. This is the old covenant, the covenant he made with Moses, the covenant he made with Moses that, that he would be their God and they would be his people. But the issue with this is that it was contingent upon them obeying the law. The law was the rules and the things that God had given them to do. Um, we know that the old covenant could not do for them what they needed. It could not make them right with God, not because the law, the rules, God's commands were flawed, but because we are sinful and weak in our flesh, so we can't fulfill them. We can't make ourselves right with God. But thankfully now, he's given us a new covenant. If you go uh, to verse 29 of Exodus 34, it says, when Moses came down from outside, now this is when Moses was on the mountain, God gives him uh, the, the commandments. He had the, the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, the law they had to keep. He was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. So he's been in the glory, the presence of God, his countenance showed this. When Aaron and all the Israelites saw Moses, his face was radiant and they were afraid to come near him. So he's freaking them out. But Moses called to them. He's like, y'all come back. So Aaron and all the leaders of the community came back to him and he spoke to them. Afterwards, all the Israelites came near him and he gave them all the commands. What commands? The law of the covenant, the agreement, the way he would relate with them. The Lord had given him on Mount Sinai. When Moses finished speaking to them, he put a veil over his face. But whenever he entered the Lord's presence to speak with him, he removed the veil until he came out. And when he came out and told the Israelites what he had been commanded, they saw that his face was radiant. Then Moses would put the veil back over his face until he went back in 
to speak with the Lord. Now, let's fast forward a good little piece. Let's go to the prophet um, Jeremiah. The prophet Jeremiah. Fairly big book. If you flip through, you might land on it. Jeremiah chapter 31. Jeremiah, hundreds of years before Christ and the gift of the Holy Spirit, is prophesying. He's, he's telling us what is to come. And in Jeremiah 31, he says this. He says, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and with the people of Judah. So with these Jewish people who've been under this old covenant. He said, I'm going to make a new covenant. This is what God's declaring through Jeremiah. He says, it will not be like the covenant I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt because they broke my covenant. Who's, who, who, who was the weak link in this agreement? It was the people. Though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant, the new agreement that I will make with the people of Israel. After that time, declares the Lord, I will put my law in their minds. I will write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. Notice he's saying, look, he's not saying if you will, he's saying I will. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say to one another, know the Lord. Listen, no longer will they depend on Moses to go into the tent of meeting, coming out with his face radiant to tell us what God says. He said, now everyone will know the Lord, not know about the Lord. They're going to know the Lord. How are they going to know the Lord? They're going to be in his presence. He says, because they will all know me from the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord, for I, for, I will forgive their wickedness and we'll remember their sins no more. All right, let's go over to Ezekiel. Just flip to your right. Ezekiel chapter 36. And I want you to listen to this language because we're fixing to read something very similar in the New Covenant, in the New Testament. The second part of your Bible. Ezekiel 36, listen to the I will language in this. God says this through Ezekiel about what will come one day. For I will take you out of the nations. I will gather you from all the countries and bring you back into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I will give you a new heart. I will put a new spirit in you. I will remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit in you and move you to follow my decrees and be careful to keep my laws. What are they both saying? There is a new covenant coming, a new agreement, a new way that God will relate to his people, that he is going to do something in us and for us that we cannot do on our own, that the law with its commandments was powerless to do because we were powerless to keep them. God is going to do something for us that will do something in us that will transform us and allow us to then fulfill the purpose that he created us to fulfill, filling the earth with the glory and the image of God. All right, now let's, let's go forward a long ways. 2 Corinthians. You'll go Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts, Romans, 1 Corinthians, 2 Corinthians. Go to chapter 3. I want to read the first six verses. And listen to the language. You'll see some similarities in what we just read and what we're about to read. This is Paul writing to the church in Corinth. He's writing, number one, to defend his apostleship or his leadership. But in defending his leadership, what he's doing is defending the gospel of Christ. He's defending it against these people who are coming in and teaching the Jewish people that, look, if you're going to really be saved and have a relationship with God, it's going to come through you keeping the law. It's going to come through the old covenant. Yeah, faith in Jesus is important, but you still, you got to keep this law. And if you don't do it, then you're not going to be in this relationship with God. It hinges upon the law. It doesn't hinge upon grace. And so these people are coming in and they're trying to lead um, these Christians out of the New Testament, the new agreement that brings life and empowers us to live for God and put them back in the old covenant or the old agreement that we're going to see leads to death. 
So verse 1, are we beginning to commend ourselves again? Why does he write that? Because he's saying, look, this is silly that I'm having to defend myself to you and the ministry God's given us to you. He's saying, why are we having to commend ourselves? Why are we almost having to brag on ourselves to get you to see the ministry God's called us to? He serves, or do we need, like some people, letters of recommendation to you or from you? These men were coming in with this teaching. They were coming with these letters from people who were supposed to be something. They were saying, yeah, trust them, believe them. And he's saying, look, we don't need these letters. Why don't they need these letters? He tells us, you yourselves are our letter, written on our hearts, known and read by everyone. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink. Listen to, to Jeremiah, Ezekiel coming out in Paul's writing. You show that you are a letter from Christ, the result of our ministry, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What's he telling them? He's saying, listen, Corinthians, we don't need letters of recommendation. We don't need people to vouch for us because it was through the very preaching of the truth that we were given that you came to life. It was through the very preaching of the truth and the power of the Holy Spirit through the ministry that we've been given, that the laws that God has has been written on your hearts, that you've been given a new heart. He's wanting them to see this. You're the letter. Such confidence we have through Christ before God, not that we are competent in ourselves to claim anything for ourselves, but our confidence comes from God. He has made us competent in, as ministers of a new covenant. A new covenant, not of the letter. What is the letter? The letter is the law. What is the letter? The letter, it even references back to the letters that these people were coming with. He's saying, listen, just as the letter of the law puts you in bondage and only brought death, this letter that these people are bringing to try to get you to follow them, it's only going to lead to death. Not of the letter, but of the spirit. The new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. Let's pray. That was the precursor. That was the pre-message. And so let's pray. God, I thank you. Thank you for your word, God. It is good, God. Lord, open our eyes to it. Help us to see it. Stir a hunger in us, Lord. A hunger to press into you. Open our eyes to see you more clearly. God, I pray that we would tear down, um, Lord, uh, this misconstruction and, uh, that, that we have of you in so many ways. And I pray, Lord, that um, you would begin to build that correctly with your truth. We love you and thank you in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Serve the Holy Spirit and see Dagon Phones. This is how you get a pie. You got to buy some fruit. Then you get a pie. There's pie within us. There's pie within us. Hmm. Now, how do I eat this? <laughs> Let me check the recipe, okay? Perfect. You can find it fast. Mm-hmm. 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 I see it. I'm just going to throw it away. <laughs> to be honest, it's not because I don't give a tithe. It's not because I don't have to work. It's not because I don't love the sharks. It's not because I don't love Wendy's. It's not because I don't love getting fat right now. <laughs> Maybe other times. I just did a little fat preacher jump, didn't I? I don't think I've done that in 15 years of preaching. Whoop. <laughs> That's why they're drunk. No, we don't drink alcohol. So our, our video guys, Micah and John, they put together this, uh, this little video last night for our Connect Group dinner, and um, I thought it was too good not to share with you, and I thought it was a great exit for them since they don't work here anymore, but, um, <laughs> you know, if you're going to go, go out with a bang, and so anyway, it is funny, and, and one of the things, guys, that, that's, that I have just over the years seen time and time again is... Um, there are aspects about myself that I'd like to change, right? I, I watch, and, and it's hard. How many of you have ever heard your own voice? Not that that was my real voice, but, um, but how many of you have heard your own voice and you're like, oh my God, that is terrible. 
right? You heard it. And so there were times where I'll go back and listen to messages and I'm like, oh, I got to listen to my voice. It's the worst part of it all. Um, and, and then like video now, everything's on video. So not only do you listen to yourself, now you watch yourself. And I see like these mannerisms and things that I do. And, and I'm telling you, I go home at night and I'm like, why did I do that? Like, why did I, why did I whoop? You know, why did I, oh, I'm stupid. I'm stupid. I'm stupid. I'm stupid. And so, and, and, and it's embarrassing, you know? And so uh, you, there's things you want to change about yourself and, and, and some things like that. And then there's some things that are more serious, right? That we'd love to change about ourselves. That we know that honestly, if, and if we're honest, that it's not really pleasing to God. It's not who we're supposed to be. It's not who God wants us to be. There's things that we want to change about ourselves. Maybe um, it's, it's dealing with anger and, and trying to, to deal with anger, controlling our anger, controlling our tongue, the things we say. Maybe it's um, uh, dealing with lust and, and, and trying to, or trying to break addiction, whether it's drugs or pornography or whatever it is. We, we want to change it, but, but there's something in us that's powerless against it, Right? We, we want to uh, get free of this worry and anxiety and all of the stuff that plagues us. And, and we want to change ourselves. At times, it's even the, for some of us that we hate ourselves because we can't change ourselves. And how many of you have been around church long enough that you kind of got the drift and, and, and it's kind of been ingrained in you that the goal is to become like Christ? I mean, you know, you've heard that, right? I'm not saying that's wrong. I don't think it's all the, the point. It's, it's part of the point. We'll see that today. So that's not wrong. I mean, it's, it's, we want to become more like Christ. We want to be recreated into the image of God. That's why we have WWJD bracelets, right? To remind us to do what Jesus would do. And so we, we have those things. We want to be like Jesus. It's not wrong to want to be in the likeness of God. That is very biblical. That is very scriptural. That is uh, the, the reason, uh, one of the biggest reasons that Jesus died on the cross was so that the Spirit would come and fill us and recreate us to be in the image of God. Because being in the image of God, if you think about our purpose in filling the earth with the glory, the image of God, it's hard to fill the earth with the image of God if you're not in the image of God. And so we, we see this and it's important. It's not that growing into the image of Christ, in the image of God is wrong. But I would argue this with anyone, how the church has approached getting there is most of the time wrong. We have put it upon ourselves to make ourselves better. But as I rolled out some things that we struggle with and we can't seem to get rid of in our own life, we realize that we are powerless to change ourselves. We may modify behavior for a season, but unless something changes on the inside, what used to be there is coming back. How about New Year's resolutions? Who made one this year and you're still doing it? They're like, they don't want to raise their hand. One, one raise their hand. Listen, there's a few, but listen, how many of you, and this is for the older people, how many of you set a New Year's resolution in 1984 and you're still doing it? Let me tell you, none. Because behavior modification doesn't work. You're still wearing parachute pants. That's how bad it is. <laughs> behavior modification doesn't work unless something happens inside of us, unless something changes in us, something transforms inside of us, what comes out of us is not going to change. When we look at the scripture, we look at these Old Testament prophets. They're telling us that something is going to happen, that God is going to do something that is going to be so powerful, that's going to be so amazing, that he's going to change us on the inside so that what begins to come out of our life is different. I told you to pay attention to the I will statements. Who's the focus of that change? Is it us? 
No, we're not the center of focus of the change. Who's the center of focus of the change? It's God. I will put a new heart in you. I will write on the tablets of your heart, not on tablets of stone. I will cleanse you. I will make you into a people that follow my decrees. I will. The challenge for us is coming to a place where, one, we realize that we can't do it. Two, we admit that we can't do it. And three, we quit trying to do it even though we know we can't do it. Because if you're like me, if something needs to be done, I'm just going to do it. If I get in a group of people and we've got a, a project we're working on and we're just all kind of standing around and nobody knows what to do, it's like we're going to do something. It might be wrong, but we're going to do something, right? We're going to do something. And so when, when we look at this, though, we've got to come to a place where we realize we can't change it. It's God in us, his presence in us. What's so amazing about the new covenant in comparison with the old covenant that God is in us. He is with us to do for us and in us what we cannot do ourselves. This is what Paul is really writing and, and he's describing to them. He does it um, so that he can defend his leadership and the gospel, the truth that he preaches. But we learn a lot through this. He's saying, look, look, this is written on your hearts by the Spirit. When you came to faith in Christ, it was written on your hearts. And you remember last week we looked at Joel 2.28, the prophet Joel, where he said that in the last days God will pour out his Spirit. And we went to Acts chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, and Peter's uh, message that he preaches after that. And we looked at how Peter, when he, uh, the Spirit comes, he stands up and he quotes Joel 2.28. And he says, this that you're seeing is that that Joel talked about. Paul is doing a lot of the same thing in this writing to the Corinthians. He's saying, look, what was prophesied by Jeremiah and Ezekiel, that God would do something in us that we cannot do for ourselves or do ourselves, he's saying this that we're experiencing now by faith in Christ through the power of the Holy Spirit, God's presence in us and with us is what they were talking about. He's saying again that this is that. This new covenant is what was promised. This spirit of grace who does in you what you cannot do is what was promised in the old covenant. He's telling them now, why in the world would you leave this that is so much greater, is so much better to go back to this that is so much more inferior and cannot do for you or meet your greatest need that needs to be met? Why would you leave this and go back to this? You shouldn't even entertain the thought that these people are bringing to you, that you should go back to law and the burden of trying to make yourself right with God instead of living in the presence of God through the, the presence of the Holy Spirit in you. He's saying, why would you leave this? Why would you lead anybody away from this to this? But church, listen, that's what the church has done. We, we claim to be people of the New Testament, but we live like people in the Old Testament. We live like our transformation into the likeness of Christ, the image of God, is going to happen because I can obey some things. I can do some things right. I can get some things right. It's why a relationship with God is such a burden. This may not make any sense to you, but it made sense to me when, I, when the thought came to my mind. For most of us, our relationship with God is really kind of approached with the same um, feeling and the same intention and the same purpose as like brushing our teeth or taking a bath. Like how many of you wake up in the morning or at night before you go to bed or once a week, however many times you brush your teeth and you're like, oh, this is glorious. I love this. Oh, this is so good. Or you take it, no, you brush your teeth. Why? You don't want your teeth to fall out. 
So you come to church. Why? Because I don't want to go to hell. Rather my teeth fall out than go to hell. So we come to church, but we approach it with the same, just sort of dead, lifeless, this relationship with Jesus. It's like, oh, I got to brush my teeth. Oh, I got to spend time with Jesus. Oh, I got to take a bath because I don't want to be a stinky kid in class. Oh, I got to go read my Bible. It's the same feeling. But Jesus didn't come and die on a cross. He didn't send the Holy Spirit to live in us and reside with us as the church so that we could have some lifeless, colorless, uh, mental, cerebral, some kind of dead, just burden to carry. He promised us the very opposite. He said, come to me, you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Who is he saying that to? People who were in bondage to the law and obeying these commands. The life was being sucked out of them by religious people who were saying, you got to do this now. If you don't do this, you won't be accepted. Jesus is saying, look, y'all been through this long enough. Come to me, come to me. I'm gonna give you a new way, a life-giving way. It's gonna be full of color. It's gonna be full of life. It's gonna set your heart on fire. It's not gonna be some cold, methodical, systematic philosophy and theory. It's gonna be an actual experience with the living God. Ah! Make a video with that. And y'all, it's where I get frustrated. And I don't get frustrated at people. I get frustrated sometimes with myself. I'm kind of a big picture guy, right? Some of you are like that. You kind of see the big picture. It's a blessing and a curse because sometimes you see things others don't see. The curse, that's a blessing. The curse side of it is I see the big picture and I'm like, let's do that. Everybody else is like, what? And I see this, guys, I see it. I see it so clearly that the presence of God is here for us, that he wants to, to work in us and through us. He wants to be in this relationship of love, this relationship of exhortation, a relationship of correction, yes, but a correction in love to bring us to the place that he wants us to be, to fulfill in us what he wants us to do. And yet our minds are so distorted by what we've known of God and of church and of the world that we can't see the glory of Christ because of the religious crap we've experienced all of our life. I was, I was meeting with a, a young lady this week and I won't call her name, but I, but I will say it was a fascinating conversation because she expressed in a few minutes how most of us think, but maybe can't express it. We were sitting there and uh, we were talking and she, she was saying how, you know, like she doesn't understand why God's being so good to her. It's so funny to me because like God's just drawing her in. Like you can, like I've never seen it so clearly where God is just working in her life and, 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 and she's fighting it tooth and nail. And he admittedly fighting it. She's like, I talked to God, but it isn't good. <laughs> and I love it because it's honest, right? It's honest, I'd much rather be with people that I know where I stand than people that I'm always guessing. And so, and she's like, I just, I don't know. And she's like, and, and, I, and, and, I, and she's, I don't, I don't want to be flooded. I'm like, dang. And so, and so she's, she's like, I, I don't because I know this. If, if God's just going to make my anxiety worse. I got enough anxiety. Your leg's like this the whole time. And she's like, I, I got enough anxiety. And she said, I know that then I got to be good. She's like, I try to be good anyway. She's like, but I, I don't need more to do. Like, I got enough to do. I, I'm, I try to be good. I'm not good, but I try to be good. But God's blessed me. He, I can see, like, why is he doing this? <laughs> and, 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 and then she's like, and then people tell me. And this is so funny, man. It was awesome. She goes, people tell me, like, just let God have it. She's like, what does that mean? 
I said, well, it's Christianese, right? It's just code language. It's like, let go, let God. I'm like, I don't know what that means, but I tell you what I think they're trying to say is trust him. And she's like, oh, no, 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 no. Can't trust him. And she had told me, you know, some things from her life, just different things. She's like, I can't trust him. I said, why? She's like, I can't trust him. She had told me she'd never really read the Bible, never read it at all. And she, she's talking about God and all this stuff. And, and finally it hit me. And, and I was like, and she was like, I can't trust him. And, and I said, I wouldn't trust your God either. The God you just described, there's no way I would trust him. There's no way. He's a terrible God. And what we realized is like this whole construction of God that she had, it, it was not based off of truth. She never read it. And I told her, I said, how do you know what God's like if you've never read the revelation of who he is? And we realized like, man, she's built this God over here. He is nothing like the true God. But how many of us are in that place that our experience in church and, 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 and with Christians, ah! How much has that distorted our understanding of what even this is all about? It's not about me trying to clean up some behavior. Jesus didn't die to make us good people. Jesus died to make us alive people. He made us alive by the giving of his spirits, the, very, the spirit, the very presence of God in us. The greatest privilege we have on this earth and throughout eternity is the presence of God in us and with us. And yet we forsake it and we live in this mindless, rote um, sort of religious experience rather experiencing the true living God. And it's got to stop, guys. The Bible says that Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. You're getting robbed. I'm getting robbed when I just go to some religious format that's void of the Spirit of God. That, that, that Paul, when he wrote that, that uh, the church would come to a place of having a form of godliness yet denying his power. He was dead on when he wrote that. Why? Because that's where the church is today. Why? We neglect the very source of power that God has given us in the person of the Holy Spirit. We don't understand him. We don't desire him. We don't realize that he is the key to us knowing God. He is the key to us experiencing God. He is the key to God working in us and through us so others experience God. He is the key to this earth being transformed by the renewing of, of our lives in the image of Christ. He is the key. But Satan has come in and made it so much about a system that is broken and does not work that we aren't even mindful of the fact that the God of the universe who holds it all together who spoke it into being that the power of that God is working on the inside of me. That he is here. And listen, this is, this is the honest truth. Guys, I don't have this figured out, right? Like I'm not perfect in this. I'm, I'm on this journey with you just like you are. And that's not to be like the average Joe Jim kind of thing. Like, I'm not okay, you're not okay, it's okay. I'm just telling you, like, we're just, we're, we're, we're all figuring this out as we go. We're learning from Christ. We're learning from his spirit. But I wish for some of you that you could taste it. I wish that you could feel it. See, what, what I do on Sundays, it's not me. I can't, I, this is not me. I say more words in 45 minutes than I say the rest of the week. But I wish you could feel it. What is it? It's him, it's the spirit of God. Is it because of who I am? No, it's because for some reason he chose me 
to do this week in and week out. And when I walk in the doors of the church on Sunday morning, it doesn't matter what the week's been like, but I walk in the doors and something grabs hold of my heart and I feel him inside of me. And I know that he's gonna do something. Even when I fail, he is faithful and he works in me. And I want you to experience that. I want you to know the thrill of the living God in you, welling up inside of you, His presence moving in you. And you probably won't ever stand on a stage and do this, but God's got something for you, a transformation to happen in you so that He uses you in that way. And it's exhilarating. It's the purpose of life to be in a relationship with Him and to know your life's being used by Him. But it breaks my heart to see people walk in and out week after week after week after week in the same place, not knowing a living God or having met Him but forgotten Him, having maybe never known Him because they've always just been in bondage to a religious system. And what I want for you is to know what it is for the Spirit of God to live in you. See, God doesn't want something for me that he doesn't want for you. I want you to know the courage and the boldness that comes when the Spirit moves in you. I want you to know how it feels to realize that things are wrong and things are going to go bad and things are going to happen. But I know that my future is secure, not because I can make it okay, not because God's going to make it okay in this worldly way, but because the Spirit of God is in me as a guarantee and deposit it tells me no matter what I face today, no matter what I face tomorrow, my future is secure in him. I want you to know that. I see the big picture, but I can't get you there. You've got to step. You've got to press in. You've got to want God. You've got to come to him with shameless audacity that says I'll risk it all just to know him. I'll lay it all down just to know him. I won't trust in my own ability. I'm going to lean into God. I won't trust in my own understanding. I'm going to lean into God. I'm going to let him make my path straight. I'm going to trust him in this. See, here's here's where it's a struggle for me. Is I can't do for you what the Holy Spirit has to do. I have become convinced that the worst thing I can do for you is give you steps in following God. I can point you to the ways that we find those steps, that God ordains our steps through his word and through prayer. But the worst thing I think I can do for you is say, if you'll do A plus B, you'll get C. And if for the rest of your life, you'll just do A plus B, you'll get C. You'll just do A plus B, you'll get C. How many of you have been married long enough to know that's not true? Because sometimes you can do A plus B and C is woo. And then sometimes you can do A plus B and C is But with God, it's a relationship. It's living in the gray. Now the truth is black and white, but the life and the life with God, is, it's not just, it's not cookie cutter. It's walking with him. It's talking with him. How many of you have ever just taken 15 minutes not to carry your Max Licato devotional with you to have to read it? I got to read. Oh, I got to read. I got to read my Oswald Chamber. Oh, if I don't read, God's going to be angry. He's not going to bless me. Something bad might happen. Not to do that, but just to sit. Just to set your mind and your heart on God. Just to think about the love of God that he has for you and he has poured out on you and in you through his spirit when you came to faith in Christ. How many of you have ever just stopped and just thought and just sat in his presence? Just to be. Just to be. We're not good at being. We're not good at practicing presence. 
It's kind of awkward sometimes. But there's, there's no way around that, guys. Whether you're driving down the road or you're out in the woods, whatever you're doing, being conscious of God, His presence, praying, seeking, asking, knocking, knowing, I'll receive. He's going to reveal. He's going to come in and He's going to dine with me. He's going to fellowship with me. He's going to be with me. That's what I want for us. I want to read verses 17 and 18. Paul goes on, he contrasts the law and this covenant of law with this covenant of spirit. He says this law of the letter, this law of the old covenant, it it kills, but the spirit gives life. He says, now the Lord is the spirit and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all who with unveiled faces contemplate the Lord's glory are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, which comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. So how does he say that we're transformed? He says, who are being transformed into his image with ever increasing glory, but how does he say it happens? We all who with unveiled faces do what? Contemplate the Lord's glory. It's a word that was used for mirrors. It means like you literally look into it and you see the reflection. You look into it and you don't see your own reflection. You see the reflection of Christ. And he says, as we contemplate the face of Christ in the presence of God through the power of the Holy Spirit, he says, we are being transformed into the image of Christ, into the image of God. We've been taken from glory to glory, from this somewhat glorious old covenant to this glorious new covenant, this glorious new way God works in us so that now our transformation doesn't happen through external law. It happens through the power of the Spirit of God working in me. How am I set free? That freedom is not just about freedom from from sin. We probably all heard that verse. The freedom, it actually is a word that doesn't just mean freedom to do what we want. It means a freedom that comes with a boldness to come into the presence of God. He's saying with this freedom now that we have in the new covenant, we're not going back to the old. We're going to God in the new, in faith in Christ. And it's the spirit of God as we behold the glory of Christ in the face of Christ, who is the image of God, who is uh, our, our understanding of the spirit. As we behold him, the spirit of God works in us to bring transformation, to change, to create us in the image of Christ. I will, says God. Lay it again. It'd be easy if it was a formula, right? But it's not. No relationship is a formula. The best thing we can do is pray for a hunger. It's the one prayer consistently that I pray for us. I want to give opportunity for salvation, though, to come to the living God. To for the first time put your faith in Christ, to recognize in yourself what the Spirit is doing, putting a hunger in you for God. Why is that happening? Because the Spirit of God is working in you. This God who maybe you've never really recognized or known because through your experience, you've constructed a God that doesn't even exist. And now you've got to begin to see this picture. And maybe you're starting to see the big picture and the Holy Spirit is drawing you to God. And today you say, look, my next step of faith is my first step of faith to trust in Christ for salvation, to receive through the spirit of grace, his ability who has done for me what I cannot do and who is doing in me and going to do in me and through me what I cannot do. So today, listen, if you say yes to this relationship, all you do is receive. The Spirit is speaking to you and saying, look, I need this. And and, and he's drawing you close to God. I don't know, maybe you've been 
fighting it. But listen, today, you know that today's today. Then we're going to be, be bold this morning because listen, we got to change our mindset on this. Salvation is not something to be ashamed of. Salvation is something to celebrate. Today, if you know that today is the day of salvation, of trusting in Christ, coming to faith in him, putting your trust in him, acknowledging him as Lord and savior of your life, I'm gonna ask you to stand to your feet because we're gonna celebrate. It's not something that we should be ashamed of. It is something to celebrate, amen. We're going to have some folks come and pray with you. Listen, this is not, not the end, right? This is the beginning of a new journey. It's a new journey that we're on. It's a new life. We come to life. And so we want to pray with you and help you take those next steps, okay? Um, listen, it's good. It's good. God is good. Loves you more than you know. Can I get a connect group leader or somebody else with the, with the prayer teams to come and pray with these folks? David. Somebody else who can, who's, who can come and do this. I'm just gonna start calling somebody. Thank you, Stephanie. Ashley, well, you you got, you got three of them. <laughs> Man, that's awesome. It's something to celebrate. God is good, but let's don't stop there, guys. Our salvation's not the end. Let's pray and then. I want to pray that God continues to move in our hearts. Lord, I'm just thankful today for your power, the power of your grace, the spirit of grace. God, would you well up in us uh, through our time with you that, that we would experience you being fanned into a flame in our hearts and our spirit. God, I know I need more of that. Do in us what we can't do, God. God, we want you. We need you. Even if that's not the cry of our heart right now, God, make it the cry of our heart. Do what you do, God. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.